Amen. Go ahead, have a seat. Ushers are going to come forward. Let's give out of how God has given to us. It's all from him. It's all for him. And if you're here for the first, second, or third time, and you've got that connection card that has probably about 500 blanks in it, and you're watching those baskets already fly by, don't worry about it. Uh, as you head out today, we've got an info table that are, that's going to pop up behind me. We've got some nice people there who have a gift for you. You matter to us. You made this place matter to you. And so we want to say thank you with a mug that's filled with sugary stuff uh, because... We appreciate you being here today. So a couple things to let you know where we're going to end up. Uh, we're going to have a baptism today. You probably saw the tank as you went in. If you were, that's exciting. If you're really desperate, you might have already gone swimming because the water is very nice. Uh, but as we head out, like after second service, we're going to do the baptism right away. So those of you with kids, we've got a plan for that. Uh, this is what checkout is going to look like uh, for kids ministry. We'll have the big kids on one side of the doors and the little kids on the other side, uh, judging by the various sides of Greg. If you've got an infant, one of the babies that's held, uh, you'll have to go in and get that. But if your kid is mobile, uh, you can grab your kid quickly and then have them out for the baptism because that's a great thing for them to see. Somebody who's up telling about the good things that Jesus has done in their lives. Uh, so we want kids to be there for that and we're going to make pickup easy for that. So today we are starting a new series. It's called Transform. The reason that we're doing it is because there is not a single area of any of our lives that Jesus doesn't want to say, I want that. I want to change that. I want to make you into a new person. And the verse that we're taking from this uh, is 2 Corinthians 5.17. It's written by a guy named Paul, a guy who understood transformation completely, maybe better than any of us, because Paul hated Christians until the day he became one. Like that's a transformation. And I want to see that happen in my life. I want to see that happen in our lives. So the verse that we have to, to focus our minds on this uh, is written by Paul. He says that this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. The reason we want to do that is because God has a new reality for us, new beginnings, new excitement, new passion, new desires, new ways of living that aren't characterized by our old life anymore. He's got those for us. He is a good God. He's in a good mood, and he wants to draw us closer to who he is from wherever we start today. Today is a great day because Jesus wants to change lives. And we're going to look at a story that talks about transformation, that talks about and gives us an amazing picture of the idea that no one, absolutely no one, is too far gone for God. And it takes place if you've got your Bible with you. If you don't, that's fine. I'm going to read everything and you can picture it in your head. Uh, Matthew 8, verse 1. And what happens in this sense is if we roll, roll the tape back a little bit, uh, Matthew 5, Jesus walks up a mountain and he starts speaking to people. Uh, and in that culture, in Jesus' people's like, understanding of stuff, going up the mountain means that something spiritual is going to happen. We do that too. If there's a big decision we want to make, a lot of times we'll either go to the coast or we'll go up to the mountains where we're kind of away from our normal. We want clarity. So in their culture, that was the understanding. If you're going up to the mountain, you're doing something spiritual. This started with the Ten Commandments, Moses with his big, big beard, and, and the two tablets of thou shalt nots, that happened on a mountain. So Jesus walking up a mountain and people following him, they've got this expectation that something spiritual is going to happen. And so in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we get what Christians call the Sermon on the Mount. This is where Jesus preaches for days on end. I'll let you in a secret. You are not at that church today, okay? We're going to be done at noon. This is not a five-day sermon. But Jesus preaches the greatest message ever 
in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And he goes over things like the golden rule, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. He talks about turning the other cheek. He talks about judge not or else you're going to be judged. Like all these things that have made, our, made their way into the way that we talk and the way that we treat people, they actually came from Jesus. And then that ends. Chapter 7 ends, and he starts walking down the hill. And in everybody's mind, this is where the lesson was over, okay? Because Jesus is spiritual. He goes up the mountain to do spiritual things. At the point he starts going down, it's like you can, you can stop taking notes, you can close your binder, you can put your pen back in your pocket, close the laptop, because the lesson is over. But that's not the way that Jesus works. Because Jesus is on a mission to transform lives where we become new people with new desires and new power. And what happens here is where Jesus blows the doors off of our life to remind us of his power, his love, his mercy and compassion to take every single area of our life that we make available to him and to radically change. So Jesus walks down the mountain. Large crowds followed Jesus as he came down the mountain is what it says in verse 1. They're expecting everything to be over. But that's not the way that Jesus works. Verse 2, it says, suddenly, nobody expected this. This isn't the way that things were supposed to go. Suddenly, a man with leprosy approached Jesus and knelt down before him. So in that day, this, this is the football equivalent of breaking through the D-line. You pass the linebackers. You shed the safeties. You are on your way to the goal line. And you trip over your shoelace and you fall on your face on the one-yard line. Like, this is not the way that things are supposed to go. Jesus is supposed to walk down the mountain, like hop into a camel with really nice rims and just ride off onto the sunset. The thing that is not supposed to happen in this day is a guy with leprosy being there to greet Jesus at the bottom of the mountain because leprosy in that day represented absolute sinfulness wrapped up into a body. It's the idea that when you see a person with leprosy, which is a skin disease, which means you cannot hide it in that day, that they must have done something wrong, that they messed up, that what they have, their condition, where their skin and their cells and, and the way that they're sensitive to things just dies. Their skin becomes white and sores and stuff eventually starts falling off. You look at someone's face and now their nose is gone because leprosy has taken over their face. It's declaring to everybody that something bad has been committed and this disease is a punishment. So Jesus leaves the mountaintop. He leaves the spiritual place. He comes down among normal people and boom, there's a disaster. There's a mess. But the thing about Jesus, the thing that he does that, that separates him from everyone else was he doesn't turn around and run back up the hill. He walks towards the mess. Nike came out with an ad, uh, I think it was last week, featuring Colin Kaepernick, uh, most predominantly, and the whole message is believe in something, even if it means sacrificing everything. It's, it's taken his role as an activist and highlighting the fact that it's largely cost him years of playing football, which means millions of dollars. So he's believing in something worth being, active, worth being an activist for, even to the point where it costs him million do- millions of dollars. And so the way that people are reacting to it, uh, some people are reacting in rage with Colin. Some people are reacting in rage against him and cutting off the swoosh off their shoes and cutting it off of their sweatshirt. Uh, I was at a meeting on uh, Thursday night 
I was wearing my Nikes then. I'm wearing my Nikes now. Uh, and there's a lady in the meeting who's really, really sweet. And she knows me well. And she will say things to me just to get under my skin because she's really nice. And so she has the authority to do that. And she says, I see you're wearing Nikes. I'm like, yes, they're very comfortable. I really like them. She says, aren't you going to burn them now? And I think we have two ways to react to that. Either we like roll our eyes and just, okay, it's another Colin Kaepernick thing. Or we get angry. And Jesus does neither. Jesus sees the mess. Jesus sees that the mess is a soul. It's a person. It's a human being made in God's image. And instead of just rejecting him, instead of just, hey, get out of here. And that day leprosy was a curse. Everybody with a leper, everybody who had leprosy was kicked out of society. Religious people, there were rules about this. Religious people could carry rocks in their pocket so that if there was a leper that was nearby, you could throw the rock at them and hit them to get them to run away because them and their dirtiness could not be around you and your cleanliness. So this was like church-sanctioned violence. Jesus comes down, he sees this guy. And instead of running away from the mess, instead of picking up a rock and throwing at him, and he would have hit him because he's Jesus, he didn't do anything. He walks towards him. He walks towards the mess. He's saying your daily life, the things you struggle with, the the curses that you live under, the struggles that have become part of your identity, that's not something gross that I'm going to run away from. That's a person with issues who I'm going to run to. Because Jesus' mission isn't derailed by our issues. Our issues are part of our transformation. I love this because you got to know that Jesus knew exactly what was going on, okay? He's up speaking to holy people who have followed him up the mountain for days upon days and three chapters, and, and what he's doing in those three chapters is calling people to absolute perfection. Like, you can't read the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 and look at your life and say, nailed it! Like, there's so many things in here between how we look at people to how we talk to people about how we think about people that challenge us to an impossibly holy life. Through all of that, Jesus is calling people to live a radically holy life. And then he walks down the mountain knowing that he's about to be face-to-face with the physical embodiment of sin for everyone in his culture. It's his way of saying, okay, now I've told you, now I'm going to show you that my mission is never going to be derailed by your issues. Your issues are part of my mission. Everybody else sees this guy as a distraction. Everybody else sees this guy as a mistake. Who let him through? shouldn't be in the presence of Jesus. He should be off waiting to die. Everybody else sees him as a mistake. Jesus sees him as a son. Jesus sees you as a son or a daughter of God today. Whatever we bring into this place, we don't bring in mistakes. We don't bring in issues. We bring in the life of a son or a daughter who Jesus died for with issues that are going to be part of Jesus' transformation over our lives. Not something that Jesus looks at and says, that's too messy, I'm running away. He doesn't see issues, he sees souls. We were at the car wash on Sunday uh, because my car needs it. Like, I, I drive a 2006 Saturn View. Uh, it's not going to be featured in any athlete commercials in any time soon. Uh, but I looked at it, thought it was like, it's just nasty to the point where we finished the car wash. I get out of the car, I'm like, that looks really good. Not because I think it looks amazing, but because before it looked really bad. Okay, anybody ever been to a car wash like that where you look at your car afterwards and you're like, hey, this is good, this is good. So we finished it, and then it was one of those where you have to vacuum it yourself because it's a lot cheaper that way. And I had, the, I had three kids with me. I had Ellie, who's my nine-year-old, uh, Micah, who is my four-year-old, and then Ellie's friend, Austin, who is with us. 
Uh, so the two older ones, we all started vacuuming, and Micah took that little air hose where you can like get dust out of your stuff and just got dust out of his face for like 10 minutes. It was awesome because he was occupied, and if you work in kids' church, you know that's a really good thing with, me, with my kid. Um, so I'm trying to get as much done as I can, and I hear at one point Ellie screaming, which is really bad because we're at a car wash with lots of cars running around. So I pick my head up. I'm like, what's going on? She says, Dad, it's Spencer. Spencer, the guy who played drums last week, he's at the car wash right with us. And so she's like right next to him, waving her hands, screaming and stuff as he's just about to go in. And they're telling you like how to drive straight and you've got all the noise from the stuff. And also he's in his car with the windows rolled up because he wants the outside washed with water, not the inside washed with water. And so we... uh, I tell her, okay, she, he's not going to hear you, so turn around, let's take a picture. So I took this picture, uh, and I sent it to Spencer, and in the caption, I said, stalker status, excellent, because he had no idea that we were there. God doesn't look at us and say, oh, that's just somebody with some issue. He looks at each and every one of us and says, that's my son, that's my daughter, and their issues are part of my transformation, and I'm not just going to let them walk by I'm going to get close to them to let them know that I love them, that I care about them. Spencer went into the car wash. Ellie ran around to the far side with with her friend Austin, and Spencer came out of the car wash, and Ellie's there waving and stuff, and he said hi and everything because it's her friend. God looks at you today with everything that we bring in here. He says, that's my son, that's my daughter, and I want them to be friends with me. And our ultimate step in expressing our desperation is asking Jesus to get involved. So the guy, he reaches out and he asks Jesus, he says, Lord, if you're willing, you can heal me and you can make me clean. He's desperate, okay? Everybody looks at the guy and even from looking at him, you know that he needs a touch from Jesus. He is waiting to die. His skin is gone. He has body parts that have probably fallen off. He's been kicked out of home. He's been kicked out of his job. He has no family. He is waiting to die. It is obvious that he needs Jesus and the difference between him and us is we have learned to hide our diseases. We've learned how to hide. We do it through busyness. We do it through our personality. We do it through success. Because if, I mean, as long as as you're living up here, wherever up here is for you, then we don't need to worry about this stuff. We have learned to hide, but this guy, that that couldn't happen for him. When I was little, we we got cereal once. You know, at the bottom of the box, there's always a prize. And and it was some apple drink. I don't remember what the cereal was, but I'm like, hey, man, there's a drink at the bottom. It's going to be awesome. So I finished the whole box in days, weeks, months, or hours. I don't remember which one it was. Uh, But we finally get to the bottom. And you're supposed to make this thing. And I didn't understand how to make it, so my mom helped me. And together, we teamed up on on making this apple drink thing. And it was a big deal because I had finished the box to get to it. And so we put it in my Batman cup and stuff that I had gotten from 7-Eleven right when the very first Batman came out. Not like the Christian Bale ones. This is when Christian Bale was born in 1989. And so I took the thing in my Batman cup and I went back to my room and I took a drink of it, the thing that I worked so hard for, and it was disgusting. It was gross. But since I had spent so much time with my mom working on it, I'm like, I can't just go dump it out in front of her. I might make her cry. So I hide it in my room for a really long time, okay? Plastic cup disgustingness in it. Probably not at first, but after a few weeks, yes, absolutely. It ate through the cup and made a mark on my wood desk. Like that is how long we left this thing there. And one time, uh, Hazmat, also known as my mom, uh, came in to help me clean my room. 
You know it's really bad when the parents are sent in to do the kid's job, which is totally reality uh, if you have kids. If you, if you don't have kids and you think that you're a perfectly neat person, oh man, that's cute. That's really cute. Uh, just talk to any of us and you'll find out that you have flexible neatness. But uh, she came in and she looked at the cup and she's like, this is just all getting thrown away. Why would you ever do something like that? But that's a picture of how we are. Something disgusting is in our life, so instead of dealing with it, washing the cup and moving on, we hide. And the cross of Jesus. Christians love the cross. Why do we love the cross? The cross is where all the darkness that we could ever hide goes to die. This moment with Jesus was where the guy could hide no longer. He's face to face with Jesus. He says, if you're willing, you can heal me. For us, the cross represents God saying, I am willing, I can heal you. Ask and you will receive. Step out in faith and you're gonna find my power meeting you. Our ultimate expression is asking Jesus to get involved. 2 Corinthians 5.21, which is a few verses after the verse we talked about is our theme verse. It explains it so well. When we ask Jesus to get involved in our spiritual life, we're asking Jesus to get involved around our sin, taking our sin out of the equation and replacing it with his perfection, that Jesus absorbs all of our sin, pays the penalty for everything that we have ever done that's short of the way that God created us to live. And instead, we receive God's absolute perfection, which is poured out on our behalf. That's what happens at the cross. That's why Christians love the cross. is because it's God taking on our worst, our darkness, so that we could take on the goodness of Jesus. And so the guy is at this moment. But I mean, is he too far gone? Leprosy, it's a serious thing. We've got serious problems. Jesus, what can you actually do? And so he asks, Jesus, can you make me clean? And Jesus reaches out and he touches him. In that day, if you touched a leper, you were beyond unclean. And Jesus, who is sinlessness, it's God with skin on, coming to live among people, reaches out and touches this guy who hasn't been touched in years. And he tells him, be healed. I'm willing. And instantly, the leprosy disappeared. Leprosy disappears. All of our sicknesses, all of our diseases, our addictions, our flaws, they're areas that God wants to transform because Jesus looks at those and says, that's no problem for me. For all of us, we bring in issues, things that we've hide, things that we've tried to hide, things that we can't hide, all this. We can look at these issues and say, this is no problem for my king. Say that, this is no problem for my king. Turn to the person next to you, even if they're a long ways off, and say, this is no problem for my king. That's right, because Jesus looks at us, looks at our issues, and says, that's no problem. This interaction that Jesus has with the guy is a perfect reason of why we love God. He represents everything wrong the leper does. And what does he meet in Jesus? He meets judgment, condemnation, and says, get out of here. You're disgusting. No, he meets touch. He meets a greater welcome that he's experienced from anywhere else. He experiences love. He experiences new life. The guy was waiting to die, and Jesus came and gave him a new life. You know, we never, the, we never meet the leper. We have no clue what his name is. But we read stories like this. We look at Jesus' desire to transform us. We look at the fact that there's nothing, there's no problem that is a problem for my king. And I see that the leper's name could be named Ken. 
It could be your name. It could be the name of the person that you've been crying out to God, asking God to touch their heart, to change them, to take out their addiction, to replace it with following Jesus. We see that we're the leper in the story who Jesus came to heal and to make new. It's a change that continues to change us. It points to Jesus' biggest mission in coming to give his life to pay the penalty for our sins on the cross, to absorb the whole wrath of God that was waiting to be poured out for us, and instead of our punishment, we get Jesus' perfection. And everything we bring into it points to the fact that Jesus came to save us because there's no problem that's too big for our king. Today we're going to close with a baptism. Bella is on her way up. She's going to share her story about how Jesus did this in her life and how he intervened, how he jumped into a dark part to bring life and to bring light and to bring holiness to her. Baptism is our way of celebrating the transformation that Jesus starts in our life. It's our public proclamation that what Jesus did for the people in the Bible, Jesus has done for me. If you're here, you're out of junior high. Our next baptism is going to be the second week of October. We do it the second week of every month when we have somebody who wants to get baptized. So if that's you, I encourage you to talk to somebody at the welcome table or talk to me after service. Right now, we're going to hear from Bella. My name's Bella Gonzalez, and today I'm getting baptized. God has always been a part of my life. We've always gone to church and we have always believed that he's our savior. Before I completely decided to ask God into my life, I never really took into consideration how much we truly need to believe in him and rely on him in the toughest situations. Recently, I experienced a suicide, and I would find myself questioning why God would have a plan like that for anyone. I would question why I pray and believe in someone who would do that not only to the person, but as well as their family. I asked Jesus into my life shortly after that because I realized how important and, and impactful a strong relationship with God can help wait can help change my life. My mom and I would talk and pray. Since then, my relationship with God has gotten much stronger. I have learned that I need to trust in him and his ways no matter what is going on in my life. I need to keep my faith in God. My favorite Bible verse is 2 Corinthians 5.15, and he died for all that those who should no longer live for themselves but live for him to go take them and was raised again. This Bible verse is my favorite because it really summarizes how we should live for him. Today I'm getting baptized because it's time that I forever place faith in the Lord. is he moves in when we need him. He shows us his love. He shows us his power because there's nothing that we can bring into him that's a problem for the king. It's no problem for my king. That's the God we love. That's the God who wants to work in us and that's the God who wants to transform us. Let's stand and pray. Father, I thank you that you're here. I thank you that you are the God who came to save. I thank you that your mission wasn't to ignore our issues but to transform our issues. to conquer our sin, to conquer the ways even that we fight against you and say, I'm good. Get out of here. But God, you invade our lives. And for all of us here today, I pray that we're gonna walk in the newness of that and the power of that. 
that whatever we struggle with, it really is no problem for my king. If you're here today and you've never made the decision to ask Jesus to come into your life, to forgive you of your sins, to change you from the inside of you to the outside of you, to make you into a new person, I want to give you that chance today. You are absolutely not saying that you think you're perfect. You are agreeing with every other Jesus follower in here that as a whole, we are sinners in need of a Savior, and Jesus is that Savior. So if that's you, I'm going to count to three, and if, if today's your day to say yes to Jesus for the first time, when I say three, I just want you to look at me and raise your hand, and as we close, someone's going to pray with you, and it'll be the best decision you could ever make. They're going to lead you, walk you into a relationship with Jesus where you find forgiveness and new life. So one, God loves you. He always has. He always will. Today, he's calling you to follow him. Two, there are things in all of our lives, mine included, where you say, God, I'm good. I'm doing this my way. That's called sin. Jesus came to pay the penalty for our sin and to lead us into a relationship with God. And three, today's your day to say, that's me. Is there anyone like that? Anyone who today's your day to say yes to Jesus? If that's you, I just want you to look at me and raise your hand. And as we close, someone's going to pray with you. I see you where you are. Stay where you are. It's the best decision you can make. And as we end, somebody's going to be there to pray with you. Is there anyone else like that where today's your day to say yes to Jesus? All right, we're going to close with a loud song. It's the one that we sang at the beginning about jailbreak, about freedom, because we want this to be a season of transformation that leads to our freedom and the freedom of the people that we've been crying out for and asking God to work in their lives. So as the band is playing, the front's going to be open. For us to come up and you can say it in whatever way you want, whatever words you want, you can sit, you can kneel, you can stand, whatever. But we're declaring in humility from our heart, God, this is where I want transformation. This is where I want freedom. And just like the leper saying, Jesus, if you're willing, you can heal me. Jesus heals him and we're asking in faith that we're going to be healed the same. Let's worship and respond.